That's all right. There we are. Oh. I know we're in this one. It's a little different. All right. Uh, good morning, everybody. All right. <laughs> I'm good. All right. Um, it's good to be here with you this morning. Uh, what a great day, a great week, especially if you're a Pennsylvania sports fan, right? Um, Phillies are finally back in the World Series, so I'm excited. Phillies play this week. Steelers and Eagles play this afternoon. Uh, so we're not going to talk about that from the pulpit because <laughs> I know that divides. Things that divide in church, and that would be one of them. But then the Philadelphia Union, the Pennsylvania soccer team, is in the playoffs. They play tonight. Uh, the Eagles play again on Thursday. I mean, it's a, it's a Pennsylvania week. So I'm excited for that, but it's also also excited to be here to worship the Lord this morning. And we're going to be in Psalm chapter 73. Psalm chapter 73 this morning. Um, and as you're turning there, I'm going to start out with just a quick video, a three-minute video that kind of illustrates um, a point that I want to get across from the passage. It's called Kids Versus Cookies, and maybe you've seen it before. I think it's a challenge that's been done with uh, marshmallows before, too. But in this video, what takes place is an adult is going to offer a kid a cookie and say, here, you can eat this cookie right now uh, if you want to. I'm going to leave if I, when I come back, if you haven't eaten that cookie, if you wait, I will bring you a second cookie and you can have two. All right? And so that's, that's the gist of the video. So we're going to watch that video clip if I can get it to go here. There. All right, buddy. Here's the deal. You're going to help me with a little experiment, okay? Okay. Okay. This is a heart cookie. It's your cookie. You can eat it now if you want, but... I'm going to leave for a little bit. When I come back, if you haven't eaten it, I'll give you another cookie. But if you, if you do eat it, that's all you get. Okay? Okay, your choice.
versus cookies. Um, what a great challenge. But what I want to take out of that this morning is the illustration that sometimes it's, it's easy to see what's right in front of you and want what's right in front of you rather than to wait for what you know is coming. And so as we look at Psalm 73 this morning, what we'll see is that the psalmist shares with us a time in his life in which he struggled with what he saw before him and what he was told or what he knew to be true. But before we jump into the text this morning, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you uh, that you are a God who loves us, who has given us your word so that we can know who you are, so that we can know about your goodness, your grace, your mercy, your love, your kindness for us. We thank you most of all for sending Jesus, your son, who died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins, that we might know you personally and that we might be forgiven. And so, Lord, as we come to your word this morning, uh, open our eyes, open our minds and our hearts to receive the, the, the encouragement, to, in, to receive the challenge uh, to our lives today, Lord, and to live that out as we leave here this morning. We ask all this in your name. Amen. So in Psalm 73, we find this same sort of situation. It is a psalm written by Asaph. He was one of the psalm writers, one of the music leaders in Israel. And he begins by stating this. He states this truth. He says in verse 1, I'll be reading out of the ESV Bible. It says, Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. And so right off the bat, he states this truth for everybody to hear. He's like, I know that God is good. And all Asaph had to do was review Israel's history, and, and he could see how this was true. God had brought them out of Egypt. All right? he, he made them a nation of, his own, of their own. He defeated their enemies. You know, Asaph was a man who was assigned by David as a worship leader in Israel. He had seen what God had done for David. Asaph was also from the tribe of Levi and would have been instructed from his very youth in the law of God. The goodness of God was ingrained in his head. He, and as a worship leader of Israel, he led the people in praising God for his goodness. And so knowing without a doubt that God is good, Asaph gives us a glimpse here into an episode in his life where this rock-solid truth was rattled. He invites us in and shares with us an uncomfortable account about the struggle in his own heart. And we begin to see that in verse 2. After stating that God is good, I know this. In verse 2 he says, But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. In verse 2 he confesses to us a time when he wrestled with this truth of God's goodness. He describes it figuratively as if his feet were nearly slipping. 
as he was walking along a path, he nearly stumbled. Have you ever been walking on a slippery rock or, or on, out on the ice on a frozen lake or whatever, and you have that, that unsurety of foot? When we were younger, uh, we used to go winter camping with my family. So my uncles used to go, my cousins used to go. We'd always go during the winter time. It was usually pretty cold. There wasn't always snow, but it was always cold. Um, it was always a colder time of year. And we would go camping somewhere, and usually there would be some sort of stream to hike by or, or creek or something. And we'd hike along that stream, and we, at every fallen tree or every clump of rocks, we would cross over that stream. We'd like either try to walk over the tree or we'd jump from rock to rock. And usually we would do that until somebody fell in. All right, That was the indication that, okay, it's time to go back to camp, get by the fire, warm back up, that sort of thing. But we were out there, and there were, you know, it's all kinds of slippery rocks. Trees with moss on them, they're slippery, all right? And so you had to watch your balance. Asaph here is saying, hey, I, there was a time where I almost slipped. My foot was on a slippery place. Um, so what caused him to feel this way? What was it that troubled him so much? Well, verse 3 and following will tell us. Verse 3 through 5, Asaph um, shows us that he struggled with his surroundings. He was envious of the prosperity of the wicked. Let's look at verses 3 through 5. He says, For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pains until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Asaph's struggle came as he looked at the community and people around him and saw the wicked were thriving. What bothered him so much was that the wicked in this world were doing much better than the godly. Looking around at the lifestyle of the wicked, they were fed and healthy, and verse 4 tells us. They don't have problems or sickness, in verse 5. In short, the evil were prospering. Asaph was looking around in his community and saw that those that were sinning were the ones that seemed to be doing well. In fact, the word translated in verse 3, the word prosperity, when I saw the prosperity of the wicked, that word is the Hebrew word shalom. Now, oftentimes when we talk about the Hebrew word shalom in church, we're talking about Israel's blessing, God blessing Israel. This was a, a sign of God's blessing. When we talk, right, when we talk shalom, it was a, a common greeting for Israel. You know, oftentimes we say, hey, good morning, good night. You know, we want you to have a good morning. We want you to have a good night. The Hebrew greeting is shalom. They want peace. They want prosperity. They want success. Right? Because as, a, as the nation of Israel throughout their history, they've very rarely experienced peace. And so that was their goal. That was their promise from God that I, would give, I will give you peace. In fact, look at, let me show you Leviticus uh, chapter 26. What God said to Israel, he said, If you walk in my statutes and observe my commandments and do them, then I will give you your rains in their season. The land shall yield its increase. The trees of the field shall yield their fruit. Your threshing shall last to the time of the grape harvest, and the grape harvest shall last to the time of the sowing, and you shall eat your bread to be full and dwell in the land securely. And I will give you peace. I will give you shalom. That's the word in the land. And you shall lie down 
and none shall make you afraid. And I will remove harmful beasts from the land, and the sword shall not go through your land. And so this is what this is what the Israelites had viewed as God's promise to them. This was God's promise to them. If you if God says, if you disobey me, if you follow after other gods, there will be punishment. There will be a curse. There will be uh, trouble in your land. But he says, if you follow me, if you follow my instructions, then you will be blessed. You will experience this shalom. And so can you imagine what Asaph was thinking as he looked around in his day and saw those that were not following God, that were not living righteously, that were not obeying God's commands, and yet they seemed to be experiencing God's shalom. They seemed to be experiencing God's blessing. This didn't pan out well in Asaph's eyes. He's like, how, how can this be possible? Asaph noticed also the arrogance of the wicked. In verses 6 and 7, verse 6 and 7 say this, Therefore pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. The word necklace and garment here indicates the attitude and actions of the wicked were visible to all. Right? Oftentimes when you think of, of, the, of the outer garment, you're dressing up. Like your necklace, you're, you're, you're putting it on so all can see. All right? The wicked were not trying to hide what they were doing. They're not being like, okay, I'm going to be sneaky and I'm going to get away with this. All right? Nobody's going to know what I'm doing. Um, I, can, I can do this because nobody's going to see what's going to happen. Asaph's saying they're just, they're just doing it out in the open. They don't care. They're arrogant. They're showing it off for all to see. Worse still was the effect that the wicked had. Oh, sorry. Um, Asaph also noticed that the words of the wicked um, were also uh, evil. In verses 8 and 9, it says this, They scoff and they speak with malice. Loftily they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens and their tongues strut through the earth. It's not just their actions and their attitudes that are wicked and vile, but of course their words are just as evil. The book of Proverbs says this. There it is. I missed it. All right. The book of Proverbs says this. Scoffer is the name of the arrogant, haughty man who acts with arrogant pride. In Proverbs, the scoffer had no regard for God or wisdom. Only his own personal gain and advancement. And there, and here, Asaph is identifying these wicked people, and they are scoffing. They are malicious in their words. And not just to those around them, but notice what he says. He says it's also, also aimed toward heaven. The bottom of verse 9. They set their mouths against heaven, and their tongues strut through the earth. All right? they're, they're speaking out against God. All right? If God's out there, why isn't he, he must be fine with what I'm doing because I'm, I'm doing great. Worse still, we also see the effect that the wicked had on those around them. Verse 10 tells us that because of the way the wicked seemed to get away with their evil, and because of their ability to communicate and spin their own story and control the narrative, the people of God returned to the wicked rather than to the Lord. Verse 10 says, Therefore his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. 
All right, they're, they're, they're dragging others with them. The people are looking around and saying, hey, these guys, they're not following God's word. All right, they're not following after God. They're not showing forgiveness. They're not showing kindness. They're not showing mercy. But they're, they're living a great life. Right? They've, they've, they've got all the wealth that, that, that they're swindling out of other people. Um, they're, they're enjoying each and every day. They're not sick. They're not seemingly seeing any punishment from God. And so others were following with them. Verse 11 tells us that the arrogant say out loud what everyone else is thinking. Verse 11 says, And they say, How can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? They're stating what everybody else is thinking. They state that because they have gotten away with their sin, that God does not know or care about what they do. The wicked not only flaunt God's commands and instructions and boundaries, they boast and brag that they have escaped his knowledge, implying that he is not able to up to the task of enforcing his own policy. They're blatantly disregarding God in front of everybody. And Asaph's looking at them and saying, and yet they're living the, the good life. They're wealthy. Uh, they're, they're good health. Right? They, they're enjoying all the pleasures of life, even the ones God says, you know, don't do this. They're doing that. And so in verse 12, Asaph kind of sums it up for us. He says, behold, these are the wicked, always at ease, they increase in their riches. Asaph looks at his surroundings, and this is what he sees. The wicked are getting away with evil, and arrogantly so. And Asaph is jealous of it. He says, man, I'm, I'm jealous of what they have. Can you identify with Asaph maybe a little bit? Maybe there's somebody here that's like, you know what? I, I see it around me. I see this world. I see people prospering that don't deserve to prosper. They take advantage of people. They have no, they're very selfish. They don't care about others. And yet they're doing great. All right? There's people out there that just, that we know aren't following God. They're blatantly saying, yeah, we're, we're not following God. We're staying away, as far away from God as we can. And yet they have all the wants in the world. Everything they want, they have. Why do they prosper? Why do they avoid health issues? Why do they avoid justice? Why don't they have financial issues? Why do they appear to receive blessing from God when their lives and hearts are so evil? So Asaph, looking around his society, this is what he sees. All right, this is what he sees uh, around him, and it's so, it, it makes his heart struggle. But not only is Asaph willing to share with us his view of reality, the reality around him, he goes one step further and makes himself more vulnerable to us by sharing with us the inner struggle of his heart. In the beginning of the chapter, he shared with us that he was, what he was seeing going on around him, but now he shares the deeper, more personal struggle within. In verse 13 through 16, we see this. It says, All in vain... Have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence? For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of our children, of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. In verse 13, Asaph admits that the thought 
that none of, that none of us would be willing to admit, right? The thought that came to his mind was, I have been good for nothing. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands of innocence. The th- in other words, he's saying, the thought in my mind right now is, I've done good. I've followed God, obeyed his commands, sang his praise, taught my kids about him, and on and on. And it seems like it's all for nothing. He says, I took the tough road. I don't take advantage of people. I was kind. I was generous. I was forgiving. And it seems like it's all for nothing. That's the place that Asaph has come to. And how many of us would be willing to admit that to anyone, let alone come out as Asaph did and say, hey, this is for God's book for all generations to see. All right, we are getting the glimpse of a heart of a guy who is seriously struggling. In verse 14, he continues, For all day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. With his battle against sin and to follow God, he had placed restrictions on himself. He had given up privileges, opened himself up to rebuke and accountability to others when he sinned. He said, hey, when I sin, you know what? Challenge me. Let me know. You know, he put those restraints on his life. And he had experienced temporary pain and discomfort in the hope to gain lasting joy. But as he observes the judgment-free wicked, those that appear free from pain, free from trouble, free from humility, from judgment and discipline, he thinks that he could have skipped the temporary pain and gone straight to the sinful pleasure because the wicked didn't seem to suffer for their sin. I mean, our thought is, boy, man, how could you think that? Asaph, how could you even, even get to that place in thinking that this is all worthless? What I've done is all worthless. And yet, I think some of us can kind of find in Asaph a little bit of ourselves, where at times where it's like, you know what? I have wondered, you know what? Is this all worth it? Is following God worth what I'm going through? Is following God worth what God says it was I know, again, in the beginning he said, I know the truth. God is good, but I'm not seeing it. All right? And when I look outside, I look around, it just it doesn't look like it. It doesn't look like God's there. In verse 15, he admits that he felt that if he had aired out his struggle to those around him, it would have been betraying, would have a betraying effect on, the, on them. Verse 15 says this, If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. Asaph says, I, I, I can't even talk about this, right? I'm, I'm the guy up front leading you all in worship, all right? And this is what my heart is struggling through, and I can't tell you guys about it. That would destroy the next generation. He felt he was at the point where it's like, I, I just can't talk to people about it because I know the effect that it'll have on them. His self-pity and jealousy would have had a treacherous effect on the next generation who looked to him to lead them in the worship of God. Not only did he almost slip, but he was afraid of taking others down with him. In verse 16, he admits that even the very attempt to try to think through and understand his struggle wore him out. Verse 16 says, but when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. And so we find Asaph in a place where he is massively struggling in his heart. 
and he doesn't know where to go. He's, he doesn't want to he doesn't want to air it out in front of everybody because he knows the effect that that'll have on people, on those around him, on those that he is leading. So do, we, do you understand, can we understand Asaph's struggle? Maybe you can identify him, whether it's, yeah, that's me right now. Or, yeah, I remember a time when I felt that way. Or maybe you know someone who has or does. Asaph is in a very difficult place in his life. Looking around him, he does not see the work of a good God. He sees the prosperity and advancement of of evil people with no morality and no justice in sight. And the worst of it, he envied them. He's like, I want that. He He was entertaining thoughts of the vanity of his godly life, following God's commands, seeking his will. What a burden on his heart and a struggle as he battled in this self-pity, this jealousy, as he claims, the anger, the frustration, maybe the regret, the disappointment. Fortunately for us, the, the text does not stop there. Asaph tells us what happens next. And so what we see in the rest of the passage is Asaph's moment of clarity. Coming from this difficult struggle in his heart, he has this moment of clarity. In verse 17, it begins, it says this, Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. This verse begins a turning point in Asaph's struggle in his journey, and it says it began when he entered into the sanctuary of God. Now, I'd love to say, hey, all you have to do is come in church, and hey, everything's going to turn up, right? That's not exactly what it's saying. That's not what, what happened to Asaph. All right, Asaph is entering a place where it says, it says the sanctuary. So in, in his time, whether it was the, the tabernacle um, or the temple that Solomon had built, that was the place of their worship. But it's interesting to note that sanctuary, the word translated sanctuary here is actually plural. And some, some translate it holy places. In other words, it was a place where, where you met with God, basically, where you came together with God, where you looked up toward God in fellowship with him. So it might, it might be church. It might be coming to church and worshiping God in a renewed sense. It might be getting with a close Christian friend and talking through the difficult challenges of life and what God's word has to say about it. It might be sitting down alone somewhere by yourself setting all, all things aside, sit down with God's word, and say, God, teach me. All right, what, whatever it was, whether it was with his congregation or by himself, Asaph had this looking up moment, this moment where he looked up to God. In verse 18 through 20, Asaph focuses again on the wicked. All right, he says, so after 17, he says, until I went into the sanctuary of God and then I discerned their end. In verse 18, it says, truly, you set them in slippery places. You make them fall in ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. Asaph, again, focuses on the wicked, but this time he has an upward focus. He's looking toward God. He's taking God's 
point of view. Uh, And rather than focusing on their past or their present, what was going on out there right now, he looked to their future, to their fate. Back in verse 2, Asaph had admitted that he almost slipped because of what he saw going on concerning the wicked. But now we see him looking at the future where the wicked are put in slippery places because of their evil and they will fall. Asaph says, well, I almost slipped. There was this time with this struggle. But as he takes God's point of view, he now looks and sees, well, God, God is going to put them in a slippery spot where they will fall. All right, all the wickedness, all the evil, all the prosperity that they are enjoying right now is going to lead to a great fall. From a human perspective, what could be more secure than health, wealth, and influence? But those who don't know Christ are set on a very slippery path that leads to destruction. In the light of eternity, their momentary pleasure passes quickly. As waking from a dream, the terror of the wicked will be quick, quickly forgotten, and they will be remembered no more. He says that in, in verse 20, like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. Have you ever had a nightmare, you know, or, or any dream? But the nightmares usually are a little more vivid. We kind of remember those a little bit more. In that moment, it seems so real. Right? I don't know if you've ever had the one where you're standing up front and you realize you're preaching in your underwear. All right, you guys probably haven't had that one. But anyway, whatever, whatever dream it might be that, that's just shocking to you, and it's like, this is so real. And it's like, I don't know how to get out of this. I don't know what's going on. And then you wake up, and it's like, oh, that's not even reality. It's gone. It's like, whew, that wasn't me. Um, you know, whatever that dream might be, you wake up out of it. And it just kind of vanishes. That, that, that whole thought just kind of goes, right? That's what Asaph is saying about his, his view of what the wicked are doing right now. He says, ultimately, from God's point of view, this is going to vanish in a moment. It's going to be over. It's not even reality. It's like a bad dream. And it's going to wake up, and truth is going to come forth. Judgment is coming for those who sin. They will be punished. Not only does Asaph, oops, sorry, the wicked will be punished, the justice will go forth in his time. This is kind of reminiscent of our study in Habakkuk and how Habakkuk saw the evil all around him and questioned whether God was there or not. And God gave him a similar answer justice will come. If you're struggling with the way the wicked prosper, how evil men get away with evil, if you are tempted with the thought that repenting of sin and following God has been in vain, follow in Asaph's footsteps and look up toward God and consider the end that he has spoken concerning all those who live in sin. Not only does Asaph, after looking up, consider the wicked through God's eyes, he also considers himself. Remember earlier on, he said, I look around, I'm jealous of the wicked. And then he gives us a glimpse inside of him. He's like, man, I feel like I've done this all for naught. Okay. Once again, he, he, now that he's looking through the view of God, he, he views that what's going to happen to the wicked. But he also takes another view inside of himself. And we see this in verses 21 through 26. He says this, when my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish 
and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. Nevertheless, I'm continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. Who have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Asaph admits that in his bitterness of heart, when he envied the wicked and considered his life to be in vain, that he was kind of acting like an animal. He was only concerned with today. He was only concerned with getting what he could get. Maybe what he thought he deserved. Like an animal, he had no spiritual sensitivity or rational thinking. Right? The cow in the field is just concerned with eating and, and, and drinking and sleeping. Right? That's, that's the cow's day, basically. Asaph saying, hey, that's how I was acting when I was looking around me rather than looking up. The truth is that our self-pity and jealousy is an outworking of our sinful nature that is looking for pleasure here and now in spite of the consequences or ramifications. And Asaph admits his flawed perspective. In verse 23 and 24, Asaph recognizes God's love for him. Notice the first word. It says in verse 23, it says, Nevertheless, even though he had been embittered and acted like an ignorant animal, nevertheless, God still loved him. He still held him by the hand. He still guided him with his wise counsel. God's love for us never fails, even when we act in bitterness, frustration, or rebellion against him. In verse 25 and 26, Asaph puts his reliance on God as he acknowledges God's love for him. He realizes that God is the only one worthy, worth depending on, the only one worthy of his desires. In the beginning of the psalm, Asaph envied the wicked because of their health, their wealth, and their prosperity. But now he has seen their end. The material things cannot save them, and they are not worth having compared to God. God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. So in this psalm, we see Asaph with this struggle in his heart. And he comes to this point near the end. He says, God is the strength of my heart. God is the one who takes care of me. Can you see, his, can you see the forever view that he is getting? Ninety years of wealth and health on earth does not compare to the eternity of being led and upheld and with God. In verses 27 and 28, Asaph gives us a renewed view of his reality. It says this, it says, For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. Those wicked that I was jealous of, those wicked that I look out and I see them everywhere and I see them prospering, I see them um, doing well, they will perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. That's their end. That's the end that God has destined for them. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. Asaph decides to trust God, to keep his word. God has promised to make all things new. He will make every injustice right. 
he will punish every sin that has not been brought to the cross of Christ. He has promised to never leave us or forsake us. Trust God. Keep his word. Be near him. Make him your refuge and tell of his works. Um, A few weeks ago, uh, I had a birthday. Um, And every four years in Pennsylvania, I guess to help you celebrate your birthday, Pennsylvania makes you renew your driver's license. Um, So that's the privilege I had uh, a couple weeks ago going to the DMV to renew my driver's license. Um, and my wife had, had done it a few months before, and she said it, for her it was easy. She, you know, she was in and out in about 10, 15 minutes. All you do is you take your card in, they take your picture, they print out your license. I'm like, okay. So she came along, and Riley came along too, and they dropped me off at the DMV, uh, and they were going to go shopping for five, 10 minutes till I was done. Um, and I walk in, and as soon as you walk in the door of the DMV, you have that ticket station stand, right? So you take your ticket, and on the ticket, it said, there are 20 people ahead of you. <laughs> and I looked up, and it was right. There were 20-some people sitting there in the room, all right? And it's, it's not that big of a room, all right? It's not a room that you should fit 20 people in. Um, so I, I, I found a chair. It just happened to be next to the one person that... I don't think I'd taken a bath for the last (laughs) month or so. Maybe that's why the chair was open. Um, But it's okay. I I was nice enough to get up when an old lady walked in and offer her my chair. Um, (laughs) But then you're sitting there, all right, while 20 other people, you know, waiting. Okay, this this might be a little bit more than five or ten minutes. And um, then, then all of a sudden the one lady behind the counter announces, our printer's broken, but we're, we're trying to fix it. No, great. <laughs> so there, there, there's a kind of this waiting line. More people are walking in the door. Now there's probably about 30 people in the room, and they still have those stickers on the floor saying, please social distance, and say six feet apart while you're standing there next to people like this. Um, and finally they fix the printer, and they continued to call numbers slowly, very slowly. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Zootopia. It's a children's movie. A Zootopia. It's about animals in the city, in the city of animals. Their DMV employees are sloths. That's, I mean, that's what it is. Uh, it's, it's the most accurate representation that I know of of a DMV. But anyway, not hopefully nobody. Anybody here work at the DMV? <laughs> I, I probably should have started with that. But... Anyway, so you sit there, and and finally, an hour and a half later, they call my name. Um, Actually, it's like an hour later. They call my name, and you go to the first lady, and you give her your old license and your card, and then you sit back down, and there's she has lined up like 10 other cards in front of you, and these are the people waiting to get their photos. And so it's like, now, well, now I just handed over my license, so I can't back out of this now. Um, So I'm here for the long haul. And... The printer broke again. Um, it's just one of those days for them, I guess, or maybe it was a normal day. But um, finally, after about an hour and a half, I got my picture taken. They printed out my license, and I was able to walk out of there with a renewed license, being able to drive for the next four years till my next birthday in four years where I get to do this again. All right? <laughs> but anyway, that, that story to say I was able to walk out of this, and it's this is a bad illustration, but a difficult or a challenging situation, you know, one, one where it's like it's not a pleasant situation, but I was able to walk out with a renewed license 
that enables me to continue to drive for the next four years. Well, in a much deeper sense, Asaph, going through the struggle in his life, looking around him and saying, I don't see God's goodness. I know God's goodness. I don't see it. And my heart is struggling. I don't know if I'm going to get through, what I'm going to do to get through. But in the end, he takes a look up. All right? He gets with God. He gets in the presence with God. And he takes God's point of view. And when he sees it from God's point of view, there's a change in his heart that helps him to understand that God really is good. And so if you're here today and you're struggling, let me encourage you to take some of the steps that Asaph took. All right, get together with God, whether it's with a friend, whether it's alone with, with the word of God, because we all know we love, we love to do our devotions, but sometimes they end up, sometimes our quiet time with God ends up, okay, I got this Bible verse that's going to pop up on my phone. I'm going to read that and then off I go. And we do that every day. All right, there's times where we just got to sit down open God's word, and just say, God, speak to me. Or get with a trusted friend. Or come to church and worship God anew. Whatever it is to, to take the time to look up and get that vision from God of what things look like from God. Realize that this earth is only temporary. It's like a dream. Sometimes it's like a bad dream. All right? But God is good. Get the vision of Asaph and put your and recognize God's love for you. Nevertheless, even though you are struggling, God loves you so much. He will always love you so much. You can always come to him. If you're at a point in your life where you think, you know what, I've, I've done so much, my heart struggled so much, I can't go back to God. It's not true. Asaph, the the worship leader of Israel, was at a point where he's like, man, I don't even know if I believe this. I don't even know if I can continue to believe this and and lead people. And yet, he's the one who willingly admits, nevertheless, God still loves me. And also, put your reliance on him. Trust in God as your strength. The point that Asaph seems to come away with is, is the one we often quote. We must walk by faith and not by sight. Not by what we see, but what we believe in the God who is good, the God who loves us, and the God who is righteous. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.